Lord God, we are so grateful that you are our hope and uh, you are our life and our light. You offer us all things, God, so undeserved on our part, and yet you give us graciously, give it graciously and willingly, your love, your life in Jesus. God, we're so grateful. May we put our hope in you, our expectations, our faith and our trust in Jesus' name. Well, you can be seated. And good morning to you, those of you that are here in the room, those that are online or maybe over at Escaton or Wayne Brown. We're glad that you're all here and a part of what God is doing and what he has planned for us today. We are wrapping up our Hope Rising series today. Uh, this summer, we have been marching through, walking through, working through the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, we are going to take the last chunk out of chapter 5 today. If you have your Bible, you can open up to there. We're going to be there and not go anywhere. I know you might have a Bible app on your phone or tablet or whatever. So whatever uh, way you want to access that, that's awesome. Do want to let you know that we have Bibles available out in the lobby if you don't have a Bible. So on your way out, if you'd like to have a Bible, that's our gift to you because we really, truly value God's word uh, and know that God himself reveals himself and there's light and there's life in that. So you're, you're welcome to that Bible. Well, uh, I get to take the last section of 1 Thessalonians 5 today, and I want to set it up by saying um, last week David Tim spoke, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and took a couple verses out of the middle of the passage that I'm going to take. The two weeks before that, in the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, in the beginning of chapter 5, there is speaking significantly about the end times, if we can put it that way, Jesus coming again, and what's that like for us, and all those sorts of things. And so um, really what we're looking at today is how do we live expectantly while we wait for Jesus to come back? Because there's been this looking ahead that's so easy to get so excited about and so kind of jazzed about, you know, and, and then we have to dial it back and say, okay, but we're not there yet. And so how do we live today expectantly knowing that that hope of our future lies before us. Now, Paul in this passage has kind of a scattergun, abrupt approach, and we'll take a look at that to see. And, and this may have been used to kind of snap his readers out of their dreaming of the future. You know, we've just talked about and and they're kind of starry-eyed and looking to the future, and Paul's kind of like, okay, bring it back. You know, because we're still here today. That's awesome, and we want to live with that hope, hold on to that hope. But right now, it, today is today, and what does today look like? There's, there's some immediate responsibilities. Also, this scattergun approach at the end of the book, Paul does this several times in, in his writing to, to various churches in the New Testament. And uh, it's kind of like, I, I thought of it as this, as a parent myself, it's kind of like a parent, maybe both parents are going to leave for the weekend and leave there, let's say there's a couple of teenage kids at home. Now, they've had the long talks, the long ones about the significant things. Are the kids ready for us to leave for a weekend? So those things have all happened, but now it's time to go. And, and you're walking towards the door. Okay, bye, be careful. And then all those last-minute things may be coming more from mom than dad, but they're there, you know. Okay, don't forget to let the dog out right after you feed him. Otherwise, you're going to have a mess to clean up. And, oh, yeah, don't forget to, you know, lock the doors. And, hey, remember we talked about it, but no parties. And, oh, yeah, okay, so the rabbit has to, and, 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 and don't forget. And the kids are like, okay, mom, dad, we got to leave. But, oh, but don't forget, but now each one of these things are important. It's, those, it's some of those like, oh, I wish, maybe I wish we'd talked more about this, but don't forget and don't forget and don't forget that I love you, right? So it's, it's kind of that kind of a feel here at the end of the letter that Paul's 
touched on some points through this letter to the church of Thessalonica, and he's touched on this, and, and he's developed these ideas, but now here towards the end, there's these, oh, yes, oh, yes, and this is important, too, and so these are kind of these things that, uh, that are thrown out to us, and so I want to say this. There's a number of issues we're going to look at today, and my suggestion to you is to maybe grab just one, one of today's issues, and take it to the Lord for him to bring it about in you this week. Um, not all of them, maybe just grab one. And I know for myself, if I try to do too many things at once, not a whole lot gets done. Okay. Ask my wife, right? I've got 18 projects started, all of them, you know, somewhere in process, just do one and finish it. Right. And so maybe that's where we're at now. Maybe if you're an overachiever, you can grab a hold of two today. Okay. So if that's you, but again, rather than go, wow, that was a whole bunch of good stuff. And which of those things, maybe that's your prayer right now in our prayer. Lord has revealed that one most important thing to say today, this week, this is what I want you to bring about in me. There's many good things here. So, okay, here we go. How to live expectantly as we wait for Jesus to come back. That's really some of these parting instructions. So first of all, we want to keep an eye on your attitudes and actions towards others. Keep an eye on your attitudes and your actions towards others. So we've been focusing on God in the future, and God says, okay, let's turn this horizontal. Let's take a look at other people. What's that look like in terms of your attitudes and your actions? Now, these verses start off in this. It's your, uh, your first subpoint here. First, you want to keep an eye on your attitudes and actions specifically towards your leaders, specifically towards your leaders here. And so this verse is these verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 12. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So he starts by talking about these leaders, and the leaders talked about here are, are certainly certainly pastors. That, that would probably be part of it, but it's more than that. It isn't, otherwise, you would have said very specifically your shepherds, your bishops, your pastors. This is your leaders more generally. This is really all workers who have a leadership role at the church in the spiritual area, if you're involved in some nonprofits or whatever else in the community that, that are in that, these are leaders. And it says they labor among you. They are, it says they are over you in the Lord. Now, we want to make sure that you understand that they're not more important than you. The fact that they're over you, you know, that's kind of just kind of like an org chart, flow, management, whatever in that. But, but their role places them over you, okay? They're not more important to you. But these, I, I started thinking through, what does that look like at Twin Cities Church? Oh, it's so many things. We've got workers teaching kids over there in the kids department, in the student department. We've got small group leaders, community group leaders, right? And we've got ministry team leaders, the greeters, the ushers, all the things that go on in, the, in, in things that are happening. It's Bible study leaders and event leaders. And some are up front leaders that are easy to see and we know them, but many are not. You only know them if you're involved in that one area that they get a chance to, to oversee in there. They're more behind the scenes people who, who do a bunch of work that many of us, they aren't aware of. Well, so these are the, these are the leaders that they say, hey, there needs to be respect here. We need to understand that what they're doing is not easy and they work hard. See, the passage also says that sometimes these leaders in their roles that they admonish you. Now, I don't know if that's a part of your current vocabulary all that often, but that's not 
that's not a comfy, cozy word. It's not a feel-good word. It says they, they admonish you, and that probably isn't the most fun part of their job, right, as they're, they're doing their work, but it is sometimes their work. Now, to admonish someone means to call them on something that isn't happening, that should be happening, right? Like, hey, you know what? You, really, this is your job, and we've asked you to do this, and it's just not going on. Or maybe they're calling you on something that you are doing that, you know, kind of rain in your back, you know, this is going on in your life or in ministry or in work, but, but that's just not appropriate. And they're doing that and, and because what you're doing is creating a problem. Now, these leaders, they should do this in love, of course, but it's still not usually a fun thing, right? You know, to have to go out there and basically be able to say, I, now I'm not like your boss. I'm, I'm, we're working together, but as a leader, I really need to let you know this isn't, this isn't working. Either this isn't happening or this is happening. Uh, now, our response to these leaders, so, so the leaders are involved in this. God has placed them over us. It says they work really, really hard, and they're also they're involved in an admonishing and a correcting sort of a, of a way, doing it in love, but that's their job. And God says for us in that we should respect them. We need to respect them. That's our attitude and our actions. We need to esteem them highly, to love them. And so we're not just called like, yeah, 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 right, whatever, leader, dude, person, whatever over here, but this person, wow, God has put them in that place, and I need to esteem them highly to be able to love them. And, and it says to love them because of their work. And, and I think that's important because you might not connect with every leader that's around. You know what I mean personally? Like, this is my best friend. This person, you know, I'm okay with them, but you know, we're never really going to hang out. And sometimes it's easy to kind of devalue that person and put them aside. But you aren't called to respect them because they're your kind of person. You're called to respect them because of their role because of their hard work, because of their calling, and because of what they do, and it deserves your respect. So really, the exhortation is don't make their work even harder because of your contrary attitudes or your, your actions that may pull apart the unity and harmony of what they're trying to accomplish in Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked under a leader, even just a small case leader, who just, you know, you didn't care for their style, you know? And, and I don't know about you, but I, the fleshly side of me, Jesus continued to change me. Sometimes if I'm under a leader like that, I almost want to you know, make things tough on them because they aren't doing a very good job. Like that makes sense, right? It's tough on them, but they aren't doing great. So I'm going to make it even harder. I know I'm the only one here that might do that. I'm hearing some laughter. So maybe there's some more of you. I'm even seeing some nods and stuff. So, but we, we kind of get in the way and God's saying, please don't get in the way. They've got a tough job and they're there. They're called to be there. And so, uh, the, it says, the verse says, be at peace among yourselves. And, and it's interesting because some commentators might say, well, that's yet another bullet point. So we talk about respect leaders and then be at peace among yourselves. But context-wise, it's saying sometimes when it becomes leaders and followers, things can get contentious, right? Things can get kind of tough, can get kind of prickly. And he's saying, you know what? The goal here is to be at peace among yourselves, to not again have to be best friends, but peace is a part of what God brings. Be at peace with them. And, and the peace talked about here, again, that's the peace between leaders and, and the people uh, because the truth is admonishing that might be a part of it and even loving confrontation, it can bring about bad feelings. That's when the peace gets tough. Man, I, I'm going to stop serving on this team. That person said I keep showing up late. Well, forget it. I'm just not going to show at all. Again, does something like that happen in your life or around you? Sometimes we can move in that direction, and God says, no, we want to be at peace about this. Don't get bitter. 
Don't do the big reaction. Don't blow them off. Now, you may have an emotional response, but you can step back and say, you know what? This is tough that that person had to do. They had to, they had to step forward and say, wow, do you understand when you get here on time, things happen better? All right, I need to, Lord, we need to do better on this. Make the choice to live at peace with leaders. Leaders be at peace with all others. The call is in both directions. Now, so we're called here to watch, to keep an eye on our actions and our attitudes towards others. It starts with this context, context about leaders. And we have many leaders in our lives, but it goes on to say, towards all others. And the next couple of verses, keep an eye on your attitudes and actions towards all others. And the next two verses focus there, and it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And see, to, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So now this verse 14, he starts by saying he calls us towards leaders, and then he says, we urge you. And, and this urge word that's here, it's, 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 this is really important. Now, strong language is used here in the Greek. That's the original language that the New Testament is written in, and it's very strong. You know, we translate it, we try to say, how do you communicate this? But he's like, this is really like, we urge you. This is important. I want you to, and, and then these comments that are made, uh, the, 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 the tenses of the verbs that are used are saying, do it once and continue to do it. It's not just a one-shot deal. But when we come to do things like when we do to, to admonish and to, to help and to do these things, you, you need to do it and you need to keep doing because it's a reality of our, of our life as, as followers of Jesus. So that's important. And the call here, listen, it's for all of us to do this, not just pastors and leaders. The call is for all of us to care for others. So this is directly to you today. And four instructions are given. First, it says, admonish the idle. Now, we talked about admonishing already, what that kind of means. So we use that word here again. We get to stir. We're called to admonish the idle, which is really to stir the idle to action. Those people that are just sitting there, we don't smack them. We don't step on them. But we do say, come on, let's get going, let's get going, let's kind of stir things up, let's get action happening. The truth is they're hurting themselves in not becoming who God calls them to be and not doing the things God's calling them to do. Not, they're, they're a part of the body, it's the right hand that just kind of sits there and you're like, come on, right hand, get busy, we got stuff to do here. And uh, so they're hurting themselves, they're hurting us, it hurts our witness, it hurts our ability to function as a healthy family. And I know this is hard, folks, because here's where we go. I'm not very good at confrontation, and I really don't want to hurt their feelings. It may hurt their feelings. Do it anyway. Do it in love. God calls us to, but it needs doing. And not, again, just by an individual. If it was just me, I'm going to let Pastor John do it, or I'm going to let Randy do it, or I'm going to let somebody, somebody do it. It's all of us doing that. And if we're all together, not ganging up on someone, but we're all available and willing to say, come on, you've got so much to offer. We need you. We need you in activity. We need you in ministry. We need you in life. If that is happening pervasively all around us, we're all doing that, things are going to change. And so that's important. So, so admonish the idol because together we can impact one who doesn't want to move. Now, second, the second thing to do is to encourage the faint-hearted. And some of the translations will say the timid here. And so it's the timid people, uh, really, that, that he's talking about, um, people who are unsure, maybe hesitant, kind of faint-hearted. And, and the truth is someone who's timid and faint-hearted, they'll get discouraged easily. 
And, and God knows this. He knows that happens. And so these people get discouraged. So they need encouragement and they need stimulation. They need motivation to press on. It's so easy to just kind of withdraw. Oh, I'm faint hearted or whatever. And so he's saying, you can come alongside them and give them encouragement to help them. Even give them extra help to live a full Christian life. You can, you can do that instead of just dismiss them, right? Third, then the third task here, the thing that we're called to do towards others, is to help the weak. Now, the truth is, if you think about it, we're all weak sometimes, right? Now, sometimes us guys say, not so much, liar, right? We know that there's times in our lives when we're weak, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those different areas that are there. But, but truly, there are some that are spiritually weak a lot. You know, maybe they're young in their faith. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they just haven't grown. There's some people that are just kind of weak in their spirituality. And, um, and, and here in the Greek, the Greek word here, um, it's, it's <laughs> I got it written down, but you don't care. It's a graphic picture. It's a, really a picture of support the weak need. So here's, here's what's happening. It's really saying, here's this weak person, spiritually weak person, to say, hold on to them. When it says help them, it's saying, hold on to them, kind of cling to them and put your arm around them. And so you get this, this physical picture of someone who, where there's weakness and you're saying, come on, let's do this. Let's do this together. I got to be honest and pause here for a second. This sounds like a lot of work on my part and on your part, this poor weak person, they should just get their act together. And that's not what he's saying. Remember, if it's because they're idle, they can do it. They just ain't. Then you give them a little bit of gentle, loving little boot, maybe, right? Stir things up. But there's some that are just weak. And rather than go, oh, my gosh, you're so weak. It's going to take so much of my work to lift you up. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. Come alongside, put your arm, cling to them, hold them, and say, come on, let's do this together. It's going to slow me down. It's going to speed you up, though, and together we're going we're to find out what God has for us. Put your arm around them. Give, give them what they need to help them, even if it costs you. And remember where this started? Paul said, I urge you. Remember I said the strength behind this? Because he knows this isn't easy. This isn't intuitive. It isn't really what we want to do. Some of us are wired to move pretty fast. And uh, God's saying, slow down, because there's a lot of people around you that could sure use the encouragement. They could use the admonishment. They could use the, they could use the help of helping the weak. So here's the deal. These three things, the idle, the, the anxious, the faint-hearted, the timid, and, and the weak, they might be called, and, and well, I'm going to go ahead and say it, they might be called like the problem children of the church in a sense because the, the, uh, the poster child of the church are the ones that's strong, that's moving, that's uh, like that. Well, so if we look at this and go, boy, some of these people, they're the needier ones. And, and um, if calling them problem children is too blunt, but the truth is, and this is the fourth thing that comes up, they deserve and need us to be patient. They need patience. Be patient with them and with all of them because that's just out there. The, the verse talks about the patience there that is a part of it, to admonish the idle and to, to encourage the timid and the faint-hearted and to come alongside and to, to give hope and to help the weak. Be patient. Be patient with them all because it gets old. It probably is going to get old, but they might wear on you, but practice patience and keep it up. Now, the verse closes with, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Now, again, we could say, well, yeah, there's yet another scattergun bullet by itself, but really it works together with this section. 
Because what happens is we have some people around that, that we might, that you might say, that person's a little needy. They're weak, they're timid, they're faint-hearted, they're idle or whatever. And so I want to be patient with them. But at some point, I start to feel like they're, they're kind of grating on me, right? The opposite of patience is retaliation. Instead of me being patient, I'm just going to strike back instead of waiting. And so we're warned not to go there. Don't repay the mess with a mess. When we're involved with people that are weaker than ourselves, it can get messy. And sometimes we get tired of that. And you messed on me, I'm going to mess on you. You messed with me, I'm going to mess with you, right? It gets difficult. It gets, um, don't repay the hassle, the imposition, the problem, the evil. You may feel like swatting back or certainly like abandoning them but instead do good. And so this is one more spot where, where Paul and where the Lord is saying, as we deal with other people, as we wait expectantly for the hope of the future that God has for us, I'm going to come alongside these people and do what needs to be done so that we can do this together and we can receive Jesus when he comes again together as a family. Well, the second way to live expectantly as we wait for Jesus to come back is to pursue God's will for your personal growth. Pursue God's will for your personal growth. Now, I'm, I'm going to take all of about 60 seconds on this because these are the verses that David Tim spoke about last week. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, when it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so this is God's will for us that we do these things. This is our personal spiritual growth that happens. And I got to encourage you, go online and check out David's talk. I mean, it's going to fill you up. It's going to give you motivation. It's going to inspire you. It's going to be God's words for you out of these verses. So I wanted to let you know, contextually, these verses are in the middle of the passage I'm looking at. This is a part of our expectant waiting. And our time is to do those things. Now, the third way to live expectantly as we wait for Jesus to come back is to allow the Holy Spirit to fully work, to allow the Holy Spirit to fully work. And this is a part of our expectant waiting. And again, two sub points. First of all, to allow him to work around you, allow him to work around you. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, now beginning in verse 19, it says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, this next scattergun point begins by saying, do not quench the Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit, don't quench Him. And, and you have to stop and say, what exactly is that saying? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And literally, this means don't put out the Spirit's fire. And even more intently, listen to this, stop putting out the Spirit's fire. Now, I, I want to say that this Holy Spirit has a number of roles that he plays. He is fully God, and, and among other things, he warms our hearts, he enlightens our minds, he empowers our spirits, and he's referred to in the Bible a number of times as a fire. So you have to ask yourself, can we put out the Spirit's fire? I mean, he is God, fully God, right? And that's who we're talking about. And can little old me do something so big that it puts out the fire of God himself? I mean, that just sounds like too big of a deal. But the truth is here that the Thessalonian Christians, they did that. That's why they're being warned about it by, by Paul. He's instructing them about this. Now, I want to note something here. This is not putting out the fire of God himself. It's not putting out God's fire, okay, in who he is. It's the fire, listen, it's the fire of the effective work, the effective working of the Holy Spirit that Paul warns us against hindering. 
See, the Holy Spirit's fire comes alive. He himself could be a, a fire. God's even called a consuming fire. But, he, but his fire, the fire as he works, it comes alive as he works in hearts and in ministry. But we can hinder that. We can limit that. Uh, and we can get in the way so much that the fire of the Holy Spirit's work goes out. And how sad is that? The fire, the Holy Spirit himself comes and begins to work here and there. He begins to work in the church, in your group, in your family, in your life. And he's all around. Things are happening. The fire starts up, and then you throw water on it. You know, you don't put out the Holy Spirit himself, the fire, but you quench the effective working of the Holy Spirit. Psh, I didn't like that. Psh, I didn't like that. And we create all this, we create all this smoke, and it's sad. Now, the Thessalonians did it evidently, as it says, through limiting the Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit-inspired prophecies there at their church. And I don't want to go too much into this because this passage is not teaching about prophecies, okay? And so some of you, if this stirs some of you up, I want to talk more and understand more about prophetic words and all those sorts of things like that. I'm just going to touch on it. Big picture to help you understand. This is the example of what they were doing to put out what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. Now, um, the Holy Spirit inspired prophecies there at the church. This was before Scripture was there. They didn't have a Bible to open up. So very often, and I believe, I believe this is my belief, more often than today, God would speak through people to communicate truth. He would speak to someone and say, say this to the people. They didn't have 1 Thessalonians to look at. They didn't have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They didn't have the gospels of Jesus's words. And so God, in order to speak clearly, would communicate through people, through prophecies. Now, prophecy could be called two things. In the Old Testament, we thought of it usually as forth-telling, telling the future, the prophecy that said Jesus is coming, the prophets that said this is going to happen, the prophets that said, even in the Old Testament, Jesus is going to come back, our expectant hope. That's the, uh, the foretelling, excuse me, foretelling. But prophecy is also forthtelling. Foretelling the future, forthtelling the truth. And a prophet would stand up and simply say, this is what God has to say. And he's, you know, sometimes in the Old Testament, he stands in judgment over you people. This is the truth of what he's told me. So when we see prophecy, sometimes anywhere in Scripture, it's talking about foretelling the future or foretelling the truth. And so what was happening here in the church at Thessalonica was people were, were hearing from God potentially. They would try to be able to say that God has spoken to me. And they were like, yeah, yeah, right. We've heard this before. And just pushing them aside, pss, throwing water on the fire not allowing God to speak here. Now, why they were doing this, we don't understand, but the point here is that he gives them instructions as they are, as, as they are, as they are not receiving the prophecies. He says, well, do receive them, listen. And they're instructed to receive the words, to test them, very, very important, test them to be sure they're truly from God. And then hold fast to them if they are from God. If they're real, if they're from God, you test them and say, this lines up with, with Old Testament scripture. This lines up with who God says he is, and this is real. Hold fast, dig in, and if not, chuck them out. Right, Because sometimes there is going to be a false prophecy that is not from God. But you got to test it. But don't put out the Spirit's fire of what he's trying to do. And you know what? That's what we're called to do today, by the way. I have people come to me and say, oh, I read this new book, or there's this new thing, or it's usually a new thing. And what do you think about it? And if it's something I'm not familiar with, I'll, or even, whether I'm familiar or not, test it. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it agree with what God has revealed? Does it agree? Does it agree? God is not going to say something today because God doesn't change. 
His personality, his promises, his principles don't change. He's not going to reveal something to someone today that goes against what he's already said for thousands of years. It's not going to happen. So you, that's how you test it to kind of to see what's there. So we're called to test and to be discerning, to pray, to be cautious. I believe prophecies have a role today, but a different role now that we have the Bible. Much of what God wants to say and what the Holy Spirit wants to do will come through the Bible. Now, certainly God can and do speak, does speak to people, but uh, the Bible is a huge, huge thing. And so I don't want us to cast that aside. Now, this idea of quenching the Spirit then for us so that we don't make all this about prophecies. Quenching is anything that gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Uh, he wants to transform our community with his love. He does. He wants to continue to lead our church, to lead our groups, our families into his way of love and service and godliness. And so I guess I would just say we need to stop blocking the Spirit's fire around us. And you can do that. Sometimes it's through our slow moving. Sometimes it's through our negativity, our skepticism, so, so many things. So I just, the encouragement is don't be the negative person who throws water on new things, on potential movements of God, of what he's there. Test things, absolutely test things. That's the instruction, but don't just be the water thrower because it feels good. I like making smoke, <laughs> you know, throwing water on the fire. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to fully work around you, but also allow him to work in you. And these verses kind of go right together, and so I, I, I'm, I'm pointing that out. We already talked a little bit about the in you. The, the next verse says, it says, don't quench the spirit, and he talks about the prophecy, and he talks about testing things, and he says, now may the God of peace, verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Now this is the Holy Spirit bringing about God's plan in your life, making you more like Jesus. This sanctifying you completely means setting you apart completely for him and his service and uh, a few weeks ago, we had a chance to talk about that sanctification process. I believe that was when Kim spoke. So here's the deal. You allow him to move in and through you. He wants to instruct you through the Bible and through godly advice. He wants you to be, he doesn't want you just to, to hear. He wants you to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, not just a listener. He, the Holy Spirit calls you to serve. He calls you to share Jesus with others. He wants you to allow him to make you more and more like Jesus every day. That, that's his goal for you in your life. And, and you can submit to all these things that the Holy Spirit wants to do and catch on fire. He's on fire. Let him light the fire in you, not just around you. You can do that or you can hinder it. You can lessen the flames. You can lessen his impact. You can lessen your impact for God's kingdom uh, work on, on earth here. And so he's, he's saying, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Because the verse says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the emphasis here is on the whole of you. It's all of you. I think we sometimes quench the spirit's fire in us when we only allow it to burn in part of us, the comfortable of, of us, the way we're wired in our special giftedness. And it's so easy here, but oh boy, over there, that's kind of risky and it's going to take too much effort and time and it's threatening and it puts me in an area of being uncomfortable. God says, I want you to, to allow it to burn, not just in the prescribed places, but in other places. And, uh, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Allow him to work in all of you. There's that pamphlet that was written many, many, years, ago, many years ago, My Heart, Christ's Home. 
And it, it talks about when we receive Jesus, we open up our heart, our, our house, and Jesus comes in. And, of course, he comes in, and we welcome him into the family room, and we invite him into the kitchen to give him some food, offer a meal or whatever. And Jesus is there, and then he, one day he comes over and says, well, what's behind this door? And it's a room over here. And it's like, well, I wasn't ready to show you that one yet, Jesus. Why? What's in there? And, and, the, and anyway, this, this brochure that goes on to talk about this process of uh, in our lives, us saying, you know what, I'm going to open that room. That was going to be my room but I'm going to let Jesus in. And then this room and this room, and maybe it's this final closet over here that holds some of my kind of deep, dirty, dark things that I kind of want to hang on to. Jesus says, when you're ready, I'd love for you to open the closet because I, I want the fire to burn everywhere. I want to be everywhere, pervasive, in every area of your life. Don't quench the spirit in you. It, it's preventing you from being all that he designed you to be. Well, finally, to live expectantly as we wait for Jesus to come back, we need to, our fourth point is to trust and rest in God's faithfulness. This is the, a little scatter point here in a sense, but uh, scatter gun shot, verse 24. He talks about don't quench the spirit around you or in you, and then he says, he, speaking about God, who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now look at that verse up on the screens. Or yeah, let's use the screens even if you have your Bible. He who calls you, and he does call you, is faithful. God is faithful. He will surely do it. Not he will maybe do it. He might get around to it one day. He calls you. He's faithful. He'll do it. And so this is so huge to understanding here that it comes down to us trusting and then resting. It comes to us resting because the truth is, is we're kind of done with, with the whole book of First Thessalonians, the whole letter, is we have tons of work to do, all, all these scattergun points even today, tons of things to be aware of. And it's so cool that he calls us to these things, that he loves us enough to call us, but he's so faithful to actually then do that in us. He does the work and through, and in us and through us as we allow him so we can rest. And, and so I think that's so beautiful we get more work done and better work done when, when we relax and allow him to be the one to bring the results from within us. So here's the deal. Yes, we have a part. We are called to respond to him, and it is work. Don't get me wrong. Remember, I urge you. He gives the strong language. But as he urges you to do this, he says, and then allow God to bring that about in you. Allow him to make that happen. Because he calls us by his grace, he saves us in Jesus by his grace, and he will sanctify us. That means turning us into Jesus' people. He does that by his grace, not through our hard work. Our joining with him in the work he wants to do by his grace. And I can trust, and then I can rest in God's love and faithfulness. The results are up to him. I just want to be faithful back. So we're closing here in 30 seconds. We hit a bunch of different things. What's one thing out of this little scattergun, last-minute little, ooh, these are important things does God want you to be aware of? We talked about responding and uh, keeping our eye on our actions and our attitudes towards leaders and towards others, especially the weak and the timid and, and that group there. He talked about not quenching the Holy Spirit's fire. We talked about growth briefly that David Timms talked about last week, not putting out the Spirit's fire around you or in you, and then he's talking about resting and trusting that God's the one who's going to bring that about in you. And is there one of those areas that God would say, let's work on that today. Let's bring that about in you this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the book of First Thessalonians and the hope that you give us in Jesus. Uh, even that last song that we sang, there's so much richness and truth there. 
God, it's the gift of life for us that we can hold on to and that inspires us, that motivates us, empowers us. God, I pray that we just learn to rest and to trust, Lord, that you are doing what you want to do as we get out of your way, as we stop putting the Holy Spirit's fire out, that that fire will burn around us and burn in us and lead us to what's important to you and lead us in a beautiful way, God. Lord, we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.